Well, good morning, church. This is always the Sunday where we recover from Christmas and New Year's, celebrations and family gatherings and everything else. And so it's good to see you here this morning. I don't know about you, Rini and I, the last two weeks, had family in town for both weeks, and uh, we had a wonderful time, and there's nothing left in the tank. We are wiped out tired. I'm telling you, man, it did a sin. But what a wonderful time. It was wonderful. So, hey, listen, I, uh, I want to thank Ralph for preaching a tremendous message last week. Amen? It was, wow. I had the privilege of listening and watching it uh, live, and I'm thankful to God that he has provided for us as a church so many good preachers. Uh, we are blessed beyond measure, and I'm thankful uh, to God for that. I don't know how you understand eldership, but at Vero Bible Fellowship, we really try to go back to just a basic understanding of eldership through the Bible. And an elder is a pastor. A pastor in Scripture is an elder. They're both given the title of overseer. They're those who keep watch over the flock of God. And we have a wonderful team of elders who are called by God. These are not men who are elected every two years, you know, nominated and elected, chosen from the body because they have good standing in the community or they have a business that's successful. No, no. These are men who follow what we learn in Matthew and in Titus, or with Timothy and Titus, regarding what it means to be an elder, to carry out that role that is so important. And we are so blessed with good elders. We're blessed with those who can preach. I mean, one of the, one of the things that as elders we really came to in our getaway back uh, about two months ago was that uh, in the future of Vero Bible Fellowship, we really believe we'll be planting churches. We'll start churches. Well, to do that, you have to have spiritual leaders who can help start those churches. And boy, has God not blessed us with spiritual leadership. So we're very thankful for that. And, uh, and so thankful that you're part of this body and that you support this work. I, I want you to take your Bible. We're going to get back to a series that we started quite a while ago. We stopped during the Christmas break. Now we're picking back up again. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And now we're at chapter 11 in, in Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew's Gospel is a tremendous work. Of course, Matthew's writing to the Jews first and foremost. That's why he references so many times uh, the Old Testament prophets. In fact, again today, we see in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus taking us back to the words of Isaiah. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. And I want to begin with prayer so that we can all prepare our hearts to receive what God might have for us this morning. I'm sure that whatever God has for you, it's different from the person sitting next to you. And that's the beauty of God, the genius of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He speaks directly and individually to us. Father, I don't have a clue how you're going to use this teaching from the Word of God to speak to hearts today, but I am so thankful that these are here to receive from you. And so, Lord, may the Word of God go forth, may it find fertile soil, and may, Lord, we receive everything that you have for us, and may it bear forth 30, 60, 90-fold in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Well, it's a new year. It is a new year. Welcome to 2021, huh? Uh, have you gotten used to that yet? 2021. If you ask most people, this year couldn't get here quick enough, and I would be one of them. Uh, 2020 provided enough drama for the next five years, in my opinion, okay? Um, I, I agree with everything that uh, our elder Marshall Pennell said earlier, that uh, it really isn't about dates on a calendar that make the difference. It's about the fact that we've inherited a world of sin, and it just seemed like there was a con condensed version of sin in 2020. I don't know. It was coming from every angle, wasn't it? Uh, it started back in January of last year when the House of Representatives decided to uh, <laughs> impeach our president. Uh, and of course, you can always go to the House of Representatives, especially uh, the always trustworthy, fully partisan donkey party. And, um, and then the Republican Party is not much better if you really want to boil it down. If that weren't enough, we then started hearing rumors about the virus thing over in China. And from there, things began to spin out of control as every self-interest group known to man had to ride the wave of the wrongful death of George Floyd. They weren't pushing his cause. They were pushing the cause of their own agenda. And that agenda is always surrounded in devaluing the principles of Scripture that somehow God allowed our nation to have instilled from the very beginning. And those values were being unearthed. The personal, re many restraints that God, by the way, put on this earth. Many restraints. Why? Because he knew that man was destined to sin. That in the heart of man there's nothing but evil continually, the scripture says. And so God put natural restraints on the earth. Every nation has these natural restraints. The first is the personal conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Your conscience is your soul sergeant. He stands at attention and when you sin, he announces you are guilty. He, he, he condemns sin and he condemns the sinner. That's what the conscience does. Have you ever had a guilty conscience where you can't sleep at night? It's doing its job given by God. And the measuring stick is the Word of God. Because God has put in the heart of every man, He's written on the tablets of our heart, His law. So we know what's right, we know what's wrong. The conscience. And yet, today and in 2020, we saw an uprising against the conscience of man like never before. And then you just you go from there, the parental restraint that God created. And that restraint has been under attack for quite some time the traditional family that God created, one man for one woman for life. And then there's the civil authority restraint, which has been under relentless attack, the rejection of law enforcement officers. Can you imagine there would ever be a time in America's history that we would reject law enforcement? Or the civil authorities that oversee the criminal uh, laws that keep the, the, the guilty locked up and allow the innocent to walk in freedom. And, and that's been under attack. And then, of course, another great restraint that God placed on the earth is the church, where we move people towards God. The whole purpose of church is to be a shining example of the glory of God on the earth, to point people back to God, to be true to the Word of God so that people know what is right and know what is wrong, and they're able to make right choices. And that's the church. And yet we see here in the last year where we moved from safety concerns where churches were not meeting 
to just all out, outright, you know, just restrain, keep churches from meeting at all. And let's keep the bars open, let's let them have public protest and march in the streets, but no church meetings. And, and so we saw churches that stood up against that. They didn't do it because they were trying to be rebellious against God. They were actually being obedient to God. And they said, we're not going to give to Caesar what belongs to God. God deserves our worship. And so they have continued to do that. I don't know what's happening in California right now with uh, John MacArthur's church, but I know that uh, they were threatening to close them down, threatening big fines. I don't know how that's going. But I thank God for churches that are in states where they've tried to close them down, and yet they're continuing to meet. And I, for the reason of per, and, and worship, or the purpose of worshiping God. So whenever you give evil an inch, evil will always take a mile. We have unrighteous legislators writing laws to protect the guilty and now punish the innocent. We have an election for the President of the United States that smells more like a propaganda potpourri. It's more akin to an election that you might find in Venezuela, it seems like. We also have a very short amount of time in our country where left where our identity is intact. We seem to be moving away from a constitutional republic from day to day to day. All of these things are concerns, and they didn't start last year. They've been concerns for a long time. It just seemed like they came closer to home last year. Say no more. Look at COVID-19 that has stricken many people in our community, around our state, around our nation, around the globe. Those who have died, probably everybody in the room knows someone who has died from COVID. And, and, and so uh, it's been a tough year. Think about because of COVID, the isolation that so many of us have had to experience. Those of you who are people persons, when I say that, I mean you feed on people, okay? It, it, some of us, you know, we go into a room with people, we enjoy it, but when we go home, we're weary and tired from it. Some of you get among people, and man, you just, it's like energizing you. You're just taking in the juice, man. You leave that place fired up. That ain't me. I love people. <laughs> I love being with people. And I, I enjoy uh, shepherding the flock. But I also like downtime. I like, I'm okay with a book. I'm okay with quiet in my, in my life periodically. And maybe that's you. But whatever your lot in life, you've been forced into isolation. You've been forced into distancing from people. That's tough for a lot of you. And so this has been a really different kind of year, a strange year. And no wonder we can't wait to get to a new year. But changing the last digit on the year isn't going to change things back the way they were before 2020. And what's so special about 2019 anyway? I mean, honestly, what we're experiencing right now is exactly what the Apostle Paul what John, what Peter, what Titus, what James, and what Jesus spoke of. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, just to start here, you don't have to turn, but write it down if you would. Reference it in your uh, journal, your Matthew journal. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty... 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Or we can go all the way back to the nation of Israel, which would be 2,700 years ago. When they were unresponsive, the Israelites were unresponsive to the prophets who had been calling them for centuries to show godly sorrow for their sins and to repent. So God sends Isaiah with six woes to declare to unrepentant Israel. And I want you to notice the similarity with one of these six woes that God gave Israel. Look at the similarity to our nation today. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 23. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, here it is, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. It's always the same pathology when it comes to sin. It leads to corruption. It leads to confusion. It leads to destruction. So where does all of this leave us? What am I talking about this morning? It leaves us as a nation with a spiritual decline in full view. It's been in decline for decades. It didn't start last year, folks. And we're starting to see now, because of last year, we saw in living color the perversions of our decades of sin. 2020 was simply a more condensed version of the of the sins of previous years. The difference being we experienced the consequences up close and personal, and for some of us, it hit close to home, and some, it hit your home. So many of us enter 2021 hoping that this year we'll have a semblance of normalcy. <laughs> but here's the question that everybody in the room needs to answer. Write this down. What does your normal look like? What does your normal look like? Were you closer in your relationship with God when things were more normal? Were you reading your Bible with great passion when things were normal? Did you find yourself in love with His Word? Did you find yourself singing God's praises? Did you find yourself sharing the gospel, sharing your own faith journey with others when things were normal? If we're honest, normal for, for most of us simply means a less stressful, less, 
less worrisome time in our life. And put our, we put our focus on this, and, and I'm telling you, so many of us have done everything we can to avoid trials and tribulations. We've done everything we can to have less challenge, less testing of faith. Normal meant a comfortable, easier life. And we've been moaning and groaning to go back to that. Well, as an under-shepherd of Christ, as one of the elders, one of the elders in our church, I have to tell you that that whole idea is biblically wrong. It's faulty. God is not looking for you to have an easy, comfortable life. He's not looking for you to be able to slide through and never have to face trials and troubles in your life. What would I like to do now is turn away from the way it was or even the way that it's been recently or the way that it is today and I'd like to put the focus squarely on the way it should be. Because honestly, any pastor worth his salt isn't going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to share with you what God's Word says. We all have opinions. I even have opinions about things. The opinions don't amount to anything. What matters is God's opinion. Amen? And so let's go ahead. If the Word of God does anything, it reveals the dross in our lives. There is typically a big difference between the way God has designed us to think and live and the way we interpret life and happiness. And today I want to call us back away from this picture of life in happiness all the time and everything's easy, everything's comfortable, no trials, no concerns, no worries, no sickness, no disease. Folks, that's called heaven. You're not there. Okay? In this world, Jesus said, you will have what? Trouble. But be happy because I've overcome the world. Typically in the Bible, this principle holds true. I want you to write it down if you would, please. This is, a, this is not a New Year's message. I've never been big on preaching New Year's messages. Um, <clears throat> but I think it fits a new year. We're just going to preach the text here. But I want you to write this down because the text is going to reveal this to you. This, this comes out, this is like the, the bold print, underscored, highlighted message, takeaway from what we're going to read in our text today in, Math, in Matthew 11. Here's the principles. First, where life is easy and comfortable, our personal spiritual growth suffers. Write that down. Where life is easy and comfortable, our personal spiritual growth suffers. Why? Because we're walking by the five senses and not by faith in our Heavenly Father. And while most of us want to walk by the five senses, that's what makes it comfortable and easy. I feel it, I see it, I taste it, I sense it. I'm emotionally okay with it. But that has nothing to do with why you're here on this earth. That's not the primary, that's not the priority of God. That's not the preeminent point here, okay? 
Let me give you another principle that holds true in Scripture. Where life is difficult and troublesome, our personal spiritual growth thrives or has the, 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 the soil to thrive in. I wouldn't say that everybody who goes through trials thrives, right? But it's in the trials, it's in the troubles of life that if you'll turn to God, you will spiritually grow. Where life is difficult and troublesome, our personal spiritual growth thrives. Why? Because we had to learn how to trust our Heavenly Father by faith. You see, while we're wanting an easier year in 2021, God is trying to teach us that whether the year is easier or harder, every day we are surrounded with unique opportunities to grow in our faith and trust God. And when you do, it not only benefits your life, but it benefits the lives of others and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. Listen, Christian, our lives are not supposed to be tethered to personal comfort and happiness. We're tethered to the God who created us and who calls us his children. And we're here to ride the tsunami of life by keeping our feet firmly planted on God's word, trusting him by faith. We're tethered to God. We're not tethered to life. We're not tethered to the good, the, 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 the easy, the comfort. We're tethered to God. So that regardless, regardless of what life brings, we're still tethered to God. We're still going to make it through. We're gonna, it's going to be good. God's going to bless us. As we enter the new year, we shouldn't be saying, oh, I hope it's nothing like 2020. We should be saying, Father, thank you for the lessons that you were able to teach me in 2020. I can't wait for what opportunities you're going to present to me to grow in you in 2021. Okay, I got about five amens out of that. Every one of us ought to say, yes, if you're a believer, that ought to be your attitude coming into this new year. While living in God's will, mind you, he finds himself thrown into prison. I'm talking about John the Baptist. That's what our chapter is about here in chapter 11. As we turn to Matthew 11, the central figure is John, and the chapter opens with him in a much a very difficult, dire situation that any of us, we couldn't imagine what he's facing even in our lifetime, much less in 2020. All because John spoke the truth to Herod. Herod had taken a relative for his wife, and John said, you're in sin. And Herod had him thrown in prison. So here's John the Baptist who baptized the Messiah. And he's simply doing the will of the Father. That's what prophets do. They call out sin. And John the Baptist is the last of all the prophets. He did his job, and it landed him in prison. So, you can just imagine what he must have felt while he was in prison. Let me read for you, and let's just start at verse 1. There's a little bit of an intro here that, Jesus, that, that, that Matthew gives us about Jesus. Let's go ahead and cover that first. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, remember he, he was sending them out in chapter 10. He's going to send them out 
and they're going to go and share the gospel. And he said, if they don't receive the message, then shake the dust off your feet, which is a sign when you, somebody does this as they leave you. That, that, is, that is a sign I reject your rejection of God. I knew a pastor, or I know of, I don't know him personally, I know of a pastor who actually did that. He preached in his church for five years, the message of truth every Sunday. It was a larger church. It was a social church. It was all the big names of the city attended church there. And they kept saying him, the board kept saying, you need to stop preaching these messages that are so, so pithy. You need to stop this. You know, you've got a lot of people that are important in our church. We, we got to keep everybody happy here. He, he just ignored it. He continued to preach the word. And then finally one Sunday, he knew it was impending that he was going to be taken out of the church. They were not going to let him pastor. So he preached a sermon on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then he walked down, while the church is still sitting, he walks down, took his wife by the hand, and they walked to the back of the church. And at the back door, he stopped. And he shook the dust off of his feet. And he walked on. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do. You be faithful to the word of God. If they don't want to receive it, move on. Move on. Find those who do. And so here it says in verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now that's interesting that Jesus sent his disciples to other towns and villages to preach while he stayed and preached in the disciples' hometowns, okay? That's because they knew you were... They, look, look. Jesus would later say a prophet is what? He's not welcome in his own town. He's not honored in his hometown, okay? Je they didn't honor Jesus in Nazareth, and they're not going to honor the disciples in their hometown, so Jesus preaches in their hometowns. He sends the disciples off to other towns. If you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, the easy route is to go to China, go to India, go somewhere and preach the gospel. They don't know who you are. What do they say? That uh, uh, somebody with a briefcase 10 miles from home, what do you call them? You call them an expert because nobody knows them, okay? And so it's easier to preach the gospel somewhere else than it is in, in your hometown, Okay, And so he, he sends them out. But see, if God calls you to your hometown, which, by the way, he does, you're living in Vero, God's calling you to preach the gospel, share the message of Christ with others. Just know that it's not going to be easy because a lot of people know you really well. And they just can't see you as an anointed vessel of God. But you are. You're sent by God. Verse 2, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. John had his own disciples who followed him. His ministry was a ministry of repentance, right? And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Oh, oh, oh. No doubt John had become bothered by the fact that he was locked up when there were souls who needed to repent through his preaching. He probably thought, Why am I locked up in this prison when I'm the one that baptized Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, if I reach out to him, he'll, he'll, he'll let me out of here and I can get on with my ministry. Uh, it's likely that John was a little perturbed that Jesus hadn't yet fulfilled that part 
of John's thought. John wanted to be released. Jesus, Jesus had not come to release him. So he asked Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? <laughs> you ever feel like that, by the way? You ever feel like you're in a predicament that's not fair, that's not right, and you've done all you did was do what God asked you to do, and now you're suffering for it? And where's God when I need Him to help me and bail me out of this? How many of you had that thought last night? Come on. I mean, it does happen to us, right? And it seems like God doesn't care. Where's God when I need Him? Well, John can relate. He's having the same thoughts. He's having the same thoughts. Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, when they came and shared that with him. John wants to know, um, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Said that to Jesus. Can you believe it? And Jesus answered them, well, go and tell John what you hear and see. So evidently, when John's disciples arrived, Jesus was ministering to people. He was healing. He was touching. He was raising the dead. He was doing all these signs and wonders. So he said to them, you go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Yikes. Jesus basically responds by saying, John, have you forgotten what was prophesied about me? John, you're a prophet, and yet the prophet's forgotten the prophecy? It was a prophecy given to Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to come for all who mourn. Jesus is saying, I'm doing everything that the Messiah was prophesied to do. I'm doing it, John. I know this doesn't fit your timetable. I know this doesn't fit your comfort level. I know this messes up your plans for ministry. But it's not really about you, John. It's about the Father's will. God has a sovereign plan in every one of our lives. God has a sovereign plan. And He wants us to fulfill it in His timing. And then Jesus adds a little gentle rebuke back to John. Look what He said. Verse 6, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. <laughs> John, um, know your place. Know your place. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you, and look what he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He goes a step further. Uh, what, did, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So get the picture here. I want you to see this. Jesus just sent word back to John through his disciples. John, I'm doing exactly what the fathers called me to do. God has not called me to come and release you from prison. And you're blessed if you don't oppose me. Don't come up against me. They go back. Neither John nor his disciples heard what came out of Jesus' mouth next. Why? Why didn't Jesus let them hear this? Because it's about John. Jesus is actually paying John a great tribute here. 
Why wouldn't he tell him? He wanted John to stay focused on trusting in faith God for his future. And so I want you to see this. He says, what then, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you more, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, your face, who will prepare your way before you. John is the one who has prophesied, by the way, he was prophesied about uh, by Malachi 400 years earlier to be the front runner of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He just gave John the highest compliment of any any human being. You are greater than Moses, you're greater than Elijah, you're greater than Abraham, you're greater than David. John never heard it. The disciples of John never heard that. Jesus is paying John a high compliment. I got to believe, if, if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, then it's not hard to understand this and to see this. I got to believe that while God is giving us a gentle rebuke, calling us to keep for, moving forward, staying faithful, stop whining, stop asking the question, why, 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 why? Stop it. Ask the Lord what, not why. What are you trying to do in my life right now? What are you trying to teach me? What are you going to do in the lives of others by my own trial and setback? When you take that approach, it's, it changes everything. And here Jesus is not telling John all, because he wants John to keep pressing forward, just like you and I. Stop whining. Focus on what God is trying to do. Focus on what he's trying to do. He gives him the highest compliment. Nobody's greater than John. So I can imagine God in heaven looking down and saying, hey, check. I don't know, he's speaking to an angel to somebody. Hey, hey, check out my church, Vero Bible Fellowship. Look how they're staying in prayer. Look how they're remaining faithful to the Word of God, teaching week after week. Look how people are growing in Christ. Look how they're sharing their faith with others. I could see God just going on and on about you. You say, how do you know that? I don't know that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's in Scripture. I'm saying if you read Song of Solomon, you see how endeared God is to you, how much He loves you, even when you fail, even when you fall short, even when you don't show faith when you should. God's there with you. He's still pushing you forward. He loves you. This is the Lord's heart towards us. If you don't believe me, I'd ask you to read Song of Solomon. It's beautiful. You might be like John saying, I'm a failure. I've messed up again. Why didn't I see that in the Scripture and trust God? There's no hope for me, my ministry, for my, my life, my walk, my, my, my walk with the Lord. Where do I turn? My relationship with God's on the brink. You have no clue how much God is for you and how much God loves you. And the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you are now in covenant with God. That doesn't break because you fall short. It can harm the covenant in the sense that you're not getting the full benefit of the covenant with God. That's what sin does. It, 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 it keeps us from the best. But that covenant's not broken with God. 
Verse 11, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus just pays this high compliment to John. Then he comes back and says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. John's greater than all the prophets and all the kings, yet, yet you, this is Jesus talking here. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the person who created you. This is Jesus saying, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom. If you're here this morning, you say, I'm sure I'm the least in the kingdom. He just said you're greater than John the Baptist, who's greater than all the prophets. Are you getting the picture here? As you enter 2021, that the opportunities abound in your life to show faith and grow in God and let God do a work in you for the sake of His glory, for the sake of others, and for the sake of your own benefit. But you've got to see how much He loves you when you fail. Because you're not going to be perfect in it. And God is with you. So here Jesus is commending John. And I am absolutely confident that He's commending you. Now, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I've heard so many different uh, interpretations of that passage of Scripture, and I think many times it's misinterpreted. But from the time Jesus began His preaching ministry, uh, Jesus faced setback. He was constantly under relentless attack. The same was true for John the Baptist. Remember, in this chapter, Jesus is talking about John. All the references he's given have been about John. Okay, so we still have the context of John the Baptist here. So even in John's preaching ministry, John was a polarizing figure. You either ran to him and repented of your sin and were baptized, or you ran from him because he's a prophet. He's going to give you the woes. He's not going to just tell you how nice you are and beautiful you are. He's going to tell you you're a sinner and you need to repent. And so, so this is the ministry of John. And so here, John is in prison, having fallen victim to Herod's savagery. So Jesus is simply saying, look, the kingdom of heaven can never be subdued, nor can it be opposed by human violence. It's interesting that in Matthew's gospel it says, the violent take it by force. But in Luke's gospel it says, everyone forcing his way into it. So that leaves us with this rendering that the kingdom presses hard and presses ahead relentlessly and only the relentless press their way into it. So the kingdom of heaven is relentless. It's not going to stop because we're in a world of sin. And those who are relentless press into the kingdom. Is that you in 2021? Pressing into God? Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, in John chapter 1, the Pharisees asked John directly, are you Elijah? And his response was, I am not. So Jesus just got through saying, uh, if you'll accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. So is the Bible contradicting itself? No, it is not. But I'm not going to answer the question today because the answer is found in chapter 17 and we'll be there in a few weeks. That just gives you something to hang on to, okay? Verse 15, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? So now Jesus is talking about the people who were living 
on the earth while he was on the earth. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him he's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So here Jesus shares the reality surrounding this generation. He continues this discussion about John the Baptist and he says that John came with self-discipline. John abstained from all the indulgences. I mean think about it. John came wearing camel hair. That was his garment. It was bristly. It was rough. But that's what the prophets did. That's the, that's the garment of a prophet. They wanted to stay on the edge and, and, and stay on that point of woe. And so John came that way. What did John eat? Everybody else is dining on fine wine and everything. John's dining on grasshoppers. He's chomping down on grasshoppers and, and, and honey. And that's it. Okay? He did all the things to, to abstain from the world. And you said he's controlled by a demon. I came and I celebrated with the sinner. I sat and had meals with him. I went to the wedding feast, made more wine. I've done all these things. I, 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 I partied with you in a celebrative act, and yet you're saying that I am a drunkard. In other words, it doesn't really matter what the Son of God says. It doesn't really matter what the Word of God says in our day. There will be those who are going to somehow turn you into the devil. They're going to be against you no matter what. Just know that that's the way it was for John the Baptist. It's the way it was for Jesus. Why should it be any different for you? See, some of us stop sharing the gospel with others because we're afraid we're not sharing it correctly. I know that if I said it the right way, they would receive it. No, <laughs> you don't know that. In fact, the truth is, Jesus said, the reason they hate me is because I declare that their deeds are evil. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. You don't share it because you're looking for the certain response. You share it, period. It stands on its own. The response isn't the point. How people receive it isn't the point. You just be faithful to put the seed in the ground and let God do the sowing. Amen? Let God do the growing of the seed. You be faithful to the Word of God. Young men, I want to say, those of you who know Jesus Christ, you've received Him as your Savior, it is really important that you are faithful to share the Word of God with others. There will be some who will reject you and hate you and despise you for it, but they rejected your Savior as well. You are standing in good company when you're rejected. Now, I'm not saying we should share it in a belligerent way, looking down condescendingly on people. I'm not saying that we should somehow put ourselves a, a for, ahead of people or better than people. We share it with humility and love. See, here's what I believe. The greatest ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about preachers, ministers, you, the greatest ministers of the gospel are those who are fully intact, aware of how the gospel saved them. In other words... The people who are most successful in sharing the gospel and faithful to share it are those who know how far they were from God when he rescued them. They've never forgotten that. And that compels them to go out and tell others. They are so thankful 
that God saved them from their sin. They have a brokenness in their spirit. They've watched God restore them back into relationship. And they carry this humility and this brokenness, and they share in that spirit so that those who at all are receptive will come because of the message. No Christian should share the gospel if you're arrogant, if you're proud, if you think you have it all together, and this person's a mess, and I'm going to make their life better. I remember somebody, a lady came up to me after church one Sunday morning. This is about 25 years ago. She came up to me after church. I'd never seen the lady before. She sat there through the whole service. And she came up to me. This is what she said. I'm not, I'm not making this up. She said, uh, Pastor, uh, yes, um, I could tell that these people were not hearing what you were saying. And I, I came this close to standing up and giving a word to your church. <laughs> Does that sound like a humble, broken vessel? I said to her, ma'am, you, you have to meet fire with fire. So I said, ma'am, I'm so thankful that you didn't stand up because these people don't know you and I would have called you out and had you sit down. And I walked away from her. God's people are broken people. They are humbled by what God has done. Nothing will keep them from sharing that message with others. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, by the way, Chorazan and Bethsaida were the hometowns of some of the disciples. These are towns that should know better. Capernaum, that's where Jesus did most of his ministry on the Sea of Galilee. You will be exalted to heaven. You will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, by the way, you take those three cities alone. You take Capernaum, you take uh, Bethsaida, and take Chorazan. All, those cities, if you travel to the Middle East today, go to the Holy Land, those three cities are nothing but... Uh, leveled rocks they're just nothing left you know why because jesus gave this word these cities rejected christ all the crowds of people the five thousand tens of thousands that followed jesus all they wanted were his miracles they wanted to see a sign and a wonder they didn't hear what he was saying they did not receive his message now, thank God we live in a day of grace. We're not under the same Old Testament law where these, these curses were given. Now we're under grace. God lets us off the hook. But don't think for a second that your life in God isn't harmed because you're not being faithful to the Word of God. You're suffering. You just don't think about it. You don't know it. But you are. 
In verse 25, and at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So while some have rejected the message of Christ, usually people who are very bright, intelligent, reject because they think they're so smart. And yet a child could receive the gospel, can receive the message. When you share the message with someone, you share it like a child speaking to a child. You come with this, this incredible energy of excitement that I'm so thankful for what God's done. Can I share with you what God's done? And you share the basics of what God's done in your life. You share the basics of the gospel, what it means that we were sinners, that God died on the cross for our sins. You just lay it out there. And it's amazing how God moves the hearts of men towards the gospel. When you, you just be faithful to share it, God will be faithful to do His work through it. Amen? The pressure's not on you. It really isn't. He just wants you to be faithful to throw the seed. He'll do the rest. And as you enter this year, and Jesus is giving this strong message to the people and to John the Baptist, and really knowing that we were going to be reading this text today, Jesus knew that. He's giving this to us today. It comes across hard to think about the fact that John the Baptist was never released from prison. In fact, he stayed in prison until he had his head served up on a platter. He died. Having sent word to Jesus, Jesus did not release him. Why? That was not the will of the Father. Yet I will tell you today, John the Baptist is not suffering and he's not saddened by the fact that he didn't get to fulfill his ministry. He did fulfill it. When he got to heaven, he saw exactly how he fit into the plan of God. Amen? Amen. You will never regret standing for Christ. The fact is, you're just not doing it. Some of us. Maybe a lot of us. And we need to be faithful. Amen? Amen. And then Jesus closes this chapter with this hard word about the sovereignty of God and God's will and just be faithful to the will of God. And then he closes with this. Only Christ could, could come up. See, it's because of a relationship that he says these things. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Don't reject the message. Don't reject the opportunities in 2021 to be a faithful steward of God's word, of, of the relationship that you have with God, be faithful. Press in. Lean into God. Go the distance with God. You'll never regret it. You're going to grow spiritually like never before. And you will face trials. You will face setbacks. You will face rejection from people. Jesus says, come to me. Those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. The whole time that you're walking with God, He has your back. He's with you. You're not alone in it. You're not alone in it. So be faithful this year. Amen? Let's be faithful. Let's all stand. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness.
to us. It comes in so many forms, but one of the forms that we're not so quick to recognize is that it comes in trials and tribulations. And Lord, this is not a message to, to belittle those who have lost loved ones in 2020 or who have truly suffered greatly. We don't belittle that, Lord. In fact, Jesus even said he wants them to come to him and that we as his church should come to people who are in their time of need. But Lord, neither is it an excuse for us to not follow God because the way is hard, because it requires faith. Oh God, may we not be a people that are caught up in sensuality, the five senses, to the point that we can't walk by faith. May we be the opposite. Lord, may there be praises being sung in heaven over the sheep of this flock and many, many other flocks who remain faithful and steadfast to you in the face of opposition and trial. Oh God, heaven's going to be filled with martyrs, those who went all the way to the point of death because they would not deny their Lord. Oh, I can't imagine the praise that's going on in heaven for those who have been so faithful. May there be praise for us as well as we are obedient to your word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Today in the closing, I just want, we'll have uh, prayer partners and elders who will come forward. And if you'd like to come and speak to them about any matter in your life, if you want to receive Christ, you don't know how or what to do. It's simply believing in Jesus as the Son of God, repenting of your sin, turn from your sin, and you're saved. Come, they'll, they'll even talk with you about that and help you understand what it means to be a Christian. So please respond, even if you have a physical need or you're praying for someone, someone else, pray with them. They would love to agree with you in prayer. Church, thank you for being here today. I pray the Lord bless you as you go. Let's come back next week and continue in Matthew's Gospel and continue to grow in the Lord in 2021. Amen? Amen. All right, God bless.